it would have been a very, very tough four years because, uh, again, at the national level and even in New York State, the politics were going in a different direction. Hi there, it's WAMC News Director Ian Pickus. And on this episode of the WAMC News Podcast, revisiting the legacy of New York Governor Mario Cuomo. It has been almost 40 years since former New York Governor Mario Cuomo's keynote address at the Democratic National Convention, a landmark moment for a generation of liberalism and one that many thought would lead to the White House. Today, Cuomo's shadow still looms over New York state politics, even after his son left office without serving the fourth term that eluded his father. The two-minute response, yes. please. I think you have just revealed your extraordinary ignorance of the state constitution and state affairs. If you seriously believe that Al Del Bello's job is going to be to do your negotiating, you had better look at the constitution and the laws again. It doesn't work that way. Ed. <laughs> A new special three-part podcast series, Mario Cuomo, The Last Liberal, looks at Cuomo's rise and legacy. It's hosted by New York One anchor and New York Magazine columnist Errol Lewis, who joins us now. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Great to be with you. Well, what got you thinking about Mario Cuomo now? Well, there there are a couple of reasons. Uh, I was kicking it around with my podcast producer, uh, Anthony Roman. Um, we've done this occasionally in the past. We did one series a couple of years ago about David Dinkins, uh, and this was shortly before he passed. Uh, it's a chance to kind of put some things in perspective. You know, ultimately, I think what really drove it was uh, the reality that we're coming up on uh, the 10-year anniversary. Um, it's really nine years, I guess, uh, since Mario Cuomo passed. Uh, He was really a pivotal figure in a lot of ways in American politics and certainly New York politics. And with his son having resigned uh, in 2021, that really put an end to the Cuomo era to a certain extent. And so here we are a year later, sort of trying to make sense of uh, of the old man, of of Mario Cuomo. Um, And there's a certain urgency, I guess, Ian, to, to, to just be blunt about it. A lot of people who were close to him and who helped build that administration are getting up there in age. And we had a real recognition that if we don't talk to these folks now, we may not get a chance to do it later. So let's see if we can uh, get their opinions and their recollections and their memories about what that administration was all about and see if we can lay it out for people. In the podcast, we get to hear some of the early days uh, when Cuomo was coming of age and before politics. What attracted him to a life in public? Uh, because he came from you know relatively modest beginnings, and it's not something that probably uh, his ancestors could have envisioned for him. Well, look, you're being polite about it. He came from dire poverty. Mm-hmm. His parents were immigrants who ran a little grocery store in South Jamaica. Uh, it was a tough. It was a tough way to make a living. And so he was raised in very humble circumstances, uh, but he happened to be brilliant. He also happened to be an athlete. And, you know, he he excelled in school and thought he was going to become uh, a, a professional baseball player and even became part of a, a farm team, got a signing bonus that was pretty decent for the time uh, and, and uh, be, began to prepare for that kind of a career. But life took him in a different direction. Uh, unlike a lot of the people we deal with now, I'm sure you've dealt with them too, who appear to have wanted to be 
in public service or to run from office from the time they were about eight. Uh, Mario Cuomo finds himself 42 years old, married, an attorney, uh, a successful career. He's got five kids. Uh, and, and then he sort of gets tapped. He gets asked by a Republican mayor, John Lindsay, to help straighten out uh, a, a particular problem. And this is the kind of thing that could happen back then. And that was another sort of impetus behind this podcast series was to show that you don't have to be a lifelong career politician. You don't have to have been planning it from the time you were in junior high school. Uh, you can be a, a full grown, fully realized, successful attorney, uh, and then just decide to do politics for the right reason, which is really just public service. So this podcast project is kind of a chance to listen to some of the old clips. And uh, I don't know if you had this sense, but I did. You know, he just kind of had it. He was a natural uh, speaker. He made connections with people. Looking back at his uh, rise in politics, were you able to put your finger on what made him so good at being in this particular role? Well, look, he, he, he was extraordinary. Let's take nothing away from him. But he was also grounded in a different political era when your ability to speak actually mattered. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, it, this is the pre-television era uh, when, you know, words and rhetoric were about the, the logic and the flow and the syntax and the, the, the way you evoked images just with your words. You weren't the image. It was the images that you could summon with your voice that the... The, the listeners were tuned into. So he, you know, if, if you want to put it that way, you could say he was sort of from the radio era as opposed to the television era and, um, and, and, and mastered it. Uh, he was, he was extraordinarily good in person and on the stump. Um, and it turned out he was actually pretty good uh, in, in, in person at the convention and he could sort of transmit it through, through television. But I, I, Whenever you hear Mario Cuomo, and we listen to a lot of his old speeches, what you hear is somebody who is not thinking about the color of his tie or the, you know, the tint of his glasses or anything like that. This is somebody who's thinking about the words and the ideas and putting them together in a way uh, that will connect with the listener and, and stir certain images and certain emotions. Uh, that that's partly a gift, but it's also a kind of formal training of a kind that I think our public figures don't really get these days. The president said that he didn't understand that fear. He said, why, this country is a shining city on a hill. And the president is right. In many ways, we are a shining city on a hill. But the hard truth is that not everyone is sharing in this city's splendor and glory. So to follow up on that, I think one of the conventional knocks on Cuomo was that he famously campaigned in poetry. But, you know, when you govern in prose, he didn't leave so much of a legacy uh, on the government side. What's your view on that? Uh, well, he, he did. But a lot of it was invisible. Right. This was not somebody who uh, wanted to slap his name on a lot of different buildings. This wasn't somebody who was eager to be at a ribbon cutting or sit behind uh, uh, a bulldozer and, uh, a, you know, a, a carve out a name for himself literally in the earth. Uh, he was instead somebody who did things like veto 12 consecutive bills that landed on his desk trying to implement a death penalty in New York. He just vetoed every single one of them. Uh, and, you know, he literally saved lives because of that. We've covered, I'm sure you've covered it upstate. We certainly covered literally dozens of cases just in New York City 
of people who were exonerated of crimes, terrible crimes for which they served decades in prison and might have been put to death were it not for Mario Cuomo. Uh, he did things like make sure that there was job training available for people getting public assistance, welfare recipients. Uh, that changed lives. That rescued people from dependency. Uh, but there's no building uh, left behind. You know, that that was the kind of political leader that he was. And there was a certain modesty that came with it. He wasn't looking for a lot of credit. He wasn't looking for his name on, on, on a bridge or a building. Um, and, uh, you know, in the end, he wouldn't even sit for his own official portrait to hang in the Hall of Governors on the second floor of the state capitol, like all of his predecessors. So there are people, you know, going all the way back to the 1700s, you have these governors that are, you know, they they sat for their portrait and it hangs in the Hall of Governors. Not for Mario Cuomo. He thought it was self-indulgent. He, he, he didn't want to take the time to do it, and he, and he never did. So we obviously here at WAMC have thought a lot about the decision not to run for president. Uh, and also not to take a seat on the Supreme Court. Did you get any closer to an answer uh, to the big question that hangs over Cuomo? Why not in your reporting for this podcast? I, I didn't get an answer, but I did develop an opinion. Okay. Uh, um, uh, there, there were a lot of people he kept guessing, including people who were very, very close to him, who did not know up until the moment that he announced. Uh, famously, while there was a there were there was a plane idling waiting to take him to. Uh, New Hampshire, where he could file the $1,000 filing fee and put himself into the 1992 primary for president. Uh, I, I, uh, my belief is that, first of all, we take him at his word. He said that there were pressing matters in Albany and he didn't want to leave the people in the lurch. Uh, I think also he would have had a really hard time on the presidential campaign trail. I mean, he just wasn't built for the kind of modern uh political glad handing that really constitutes the road to the White House. I, it, it just it just wasn't his kind of a thing. So I think he would have had a really hard time on the campaign trail. And it's possible he might have recognized that. Uh, that that's part of it. Uh, on the Supreme Court, though, I think he would have been a spectacular Supreme Court justice. And uh, I kind of I, I that's the one I really wonder about. I don't really wonder about the presidential. I don't, I don't know that he would have made it, frankly. Uh, all the way to the, the convention and beyond um, to defeat a sitting president. Um, uh, 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 on, on the other hand, uh, when I think about um, the Supreme Court, he would have been an almost perfect match and he would have brought forward values and arguments and an approach to society and to the law that would have really made him one of the greats that ever sat on the bench. So. I think from working on this this project, I got a clearer sense that really he was uh, a thinking man, a thoughtful man, somebody who wanted to move society uh, at its deepest levels by changing the way we deal with one another. Um, but I don't think he was the kind of political animal that can win the White House anymore. He ended up losing the bid for the fourth term to George Pataki, which in retrospect, uh, seems like, you know, a bit of an aberration in New York politics today where we haven't had a, a statewide Republican victor since Pataki. What do you make of the end of his career as governor? Uh, it was unfortunate, for one thing. Um, I think there there is an opponent out there that stalks many successful political leaders, and it's called stayed around too long. 
I mean, Mario Cuomo had advisors who told him the a fourth term is just too much. Uh, the, the politically speaking, the handwriting was kind of on the wall in the sense that uh, the, not only was the nation changing generally, and it was a Republican wave in 1994 that swept him out of office along with a whole lot of other Democrats, uh, but but the handwriting was on the wall just in terms of New York politics, meaning his uh, his uh, first reelection uh, was 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 smashing. Uh, the the reelection for the third term was probably closer than it should have been. And he was running against somebody who was an absolute novice. And the fact that uh, it was as close as it was, was really an indicator that um, things are changing. Voters' preferences maybe are changing. Something something uh, is going on in the electorate that you should pay attention to. Um, and as much as we counterpose him, as did the country, as uh, the last liberal, as a, a very liberal governor of a big state, um, as opposed to the Reagan conservatism that was also growing in the country, the reality is Ronald Reagan won New York State twice. So, you know, the the, the seeds of his eventual defeat were there. Um, in hindsight, we can now see that uh, the politics was shifting away from from him and a fourth term was, was going to be very, very tough. And even if he'd won it, honestly, Ian, it would have been a very, very tough four years because, uh, again, at the national level and even in New York State, the politics were going in a different direction. So while we have you, let me ask you about some contemporary New York politics. You mentioned earlier, of course, uh, Cuomo's son, Andrew, left office ignominiously in, in 2021. And there have been basically constant whispers ever since about him finding uh, an office to make a comeback in. Do you see that as a realistic possibility? I do. I do. I see it as a realistic possibility. There's been some some decent reporting that there are polls out in the field. And while it's not clear who paid for those polls, those polls appear to be asking folks, um, what do you think of Andrew Cuomo as a candidate for mayor? Um, and, you know, somebody's paying for it. So Occam's um, razor, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, uh, he's not done yet, uh, at least not in his mind. He's been showing up at churches where he otherwise has no particular reason to show up uh, to give speeches before different crowds. He's got a podcast. He's been uh, appearing on other people's podcasts. He's been sounding off on policy. Um, he's he's still got the bug. He's still got the itch. Uh, you know, I mean, I know for a fact that he wishes things were going differently with the response to the migrant crisis. And he's got not not a few ideas, but some very detailed ideas about how he thinks it, it ought to be handled. So this is not somebody who's built for the sidelines. His kids are grown up. Uh, he's not married. He's, he's still a young man. He's got a lot of energy, a lot of fire and a lot of ambition. So um, I'd be surprised if this is the last we've heard from from Andrew Cuomo. I'd be surprised if he has run his last campaign at this point. You know, he takes a lot of issue with the all the investigations uh, by the attorney general and, and the state assembly judiciary committee that effectively chased him from office. But there was a lot of, you know, smoke there for sure. Uh, do you think voters would uh, forgive him enough for him to win, you know, a uh, high profile office of some kind? I, I think he could 
I think there's probably a path back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that path, just as you suggest, is through the ballot box. You know, the 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 legal questions, which are not fully resolved at this point, uh, they're either in limbo because there there are um, uh, district attorneys that chose not to take up the complaints of some of the women, um, or there are civil cases. And we know that there's at least one or maybe two um, civil cases that were filed under the Adult Survivors Act, as well as some counter lawsuits um, by by Cuomo himself. So, you know, legally speaking, we're not really done with this altogether, although he insists that he's going to be fully vindicated at the end of the process. Uh, the, the question of whether or not the, the voters will uh, either look past that or not see it as fatal to to um, to a successful candidacy, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think that um, one of the problems that he had was actually not related to the legal issues themselves, but rather to the political situation in Albany, meaning, you know, a, as his problems multiplied uh, and the attorney general's report came out, nobody really stood up for Andrew Cuomo. Nobody in the state Senate, nobody in the state assembly, even even at the level, Ian, of like character witness, you know, somebody to say, well, I don't really know what happened, but I know Andrew Cuomo's a good guy. And, I, you know, I, I, I hope he comes through this OK. Almost nobody did that. And one one thing I think we all know about politics, at least in New York, is that you really can't do it alone. You know, you can be you can be a maverick. You can have unusual ideas. You can be independently wealthy. But in the end, you've got to put together coalitions. You've got to put people together. And that's the thing I'm going to be watching for, to see if Mar- uh, uh, see if Andrew Cuomo is able to put together the kind of coalitions that can win statewide races. And it's not clear to me that the, that that's ready to happen just yet. So you're closer to this than we are, but um, how much trouble is Mayor Eric Adams in? Uh, he, he, look, he's in more budgetary trouble than than anything else. Yeah, about seven billion dollars. Yeah, you better believe. It. And that's look, that's just right now. I mean, the full migrant bill is not going to come due for like another year and a half. Uh, so we've got an immediate shortfall of about four, a uh, three three ish billion. That's going to be followed by a four billion dollar uh, hole in next year's budget, which is due on June thirtieth. And then the real expenses start. You know, I mean, it's 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 going to be bad. It's going to be bad. So he's got he's got major problems of that variety. When it comes to the ethics issue, which I think is what you're really getting at, mm-hmm. uh, we won't know until and unless the Southern District of New York, the you know the federal Department of Justice, uh, makes clear what why they took his phones, why they um, went through his chief fundraiser's home and took her electronics. Uh, I suspect it may be something along the lines of what has happened in the past, which is everybody except the mayor um, has a problem. Or I should say uh, several people, but not the candidate themselves, um, have a problem. Because we, we've seen campaigns that went sideways. I'm sure you've seen them, too. Uh, but it's very unusual for it to involve the candidate personally. And he's been under enough scrutiny. He's been a state senator during one of the most turbulent times in Senate history. Uh, He watched a lot of his colleagues in the Senate get carted off to prison. 
I'd be very, very surprised if he did anything wrong personally. So I guess to answer your question, um, is is he in trouble? I don't think he's in trouble. Uh, there are some people around him, though, that I think are going to have a lot of questions to answer. And, you know, nobody likes getting raided by the FBI. Um, and, and they don't do that lightly. So I, I assume there may be some fire somewhere under the smoke. I don't think it's um, at Gracie Mansion, if you want to put it that way. So just one more thing. We're speaking in December. January brings the new state legislative session. One person we haven't talked about today is Governor Kathy Hochul, uh, who will be back for another probably bruising budget season. We know the housing compact is still unresolved. What are your expectations for how the new legislative session will go in Albany? Uh I, I I I hope it goes well. Um, <laughs> there, there 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 are two things that are um, of paramount importance, and I'm hoping the governor will get her arms around it. The first, of course, is the housing question. If if I understand the reporting properly, I think she may have already raised a white flag in advance on the the question of just getting some some pure production in the pipeline. Like we just need housing. Affordable housing would be nice. But really, any kind of housing, just on a basic supply and demand level, is what's necessary. And she she had a really tough time and was thwarted by the legislature last year, uh, last session. Um, uh, it doesn't look like she's going to introduce it in the same form. And I'm not sure she's done enough of the political groundwork to get a different outcome this time. And that leaves us with a very serious problem. Uh, the, the other issue, of course, is the migrant crisis. And this is where... Uh, Governor Hochul is very different from her predecessor. I don't think anybody can imagine Andrew Cuomo allowing there to be essentially, you know, 58 different policies where every county just decides whether they will or won't take migrants and New York City uh, uh, absorbs the rest of it. Um, I I just, you, you can't even imagine it. Andrew Cuomo clearly would have, and his people have told me this, uh, would have announced a state of emergency and then told every single county executive, this is what we're going to do. It would have been like a replay of, uh, of the COVID response. Um, Kathy Hochul's going in a different direction. I think she's trying to rely in part on the power of persuasion, uh, some incentives, um, a patchwork quilt of some counties that are gonna maybe be more forthcoming than others. I, I don't know if it's gonna come together. Um, you know, we're dealing with something that is historic and it goes well beyond New York, Ian. I mean, they said last year, 2022, was the largest movement of refugees worldwide in uh, in recorded history. A hundred million people were displaced from their homes in their countries uh, due to a combination of war, civil war, um, pandemic uh, disruption, all kinds of different reasons. But whatever those reasons are, the the reality is we a hundred million people just got up and moved, and I I don't know that it's going to all stop on January first just because the Albany legislature is is coming into session. So um, I I I I'm going to be keeping an eye on that. We 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 need a we need a solution, and it's going to have to be a statewide solution. I tell you that that is crystal clear from down here in New York City. We can't absorb two and three thousand people every week indefinitely, uh, while the rest of the state has all of this excess capacity and uh, unfilled jobs. I mean, it's it's it doesn't make sense, and it it, it can't continue. 
and it will be up to the governor and the legislature to figure out a solution. Errol Lewis is a New York One anchor and New York Magazine columnist, and the new podcast we've been talking about is on the legacy of Mario Cuomo. It's called Mario Cuomo, The Last Liberal. Errol, uh, I'm a big fan of yours. Thanks for taking all this time to speak with us, and uh, best of luck. Thank you, Ian. Great to be with you. Okay, that does it for this episode of the WAMC News Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Ian Pickus.